Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikulskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. And I'm joined by R.K. Russell, who is out with a brand new uh, memoir. This one is called The Yards Between Us, a memoir of life, love, and football. It is available everywhere. Uh, R.K. was a, uh, a, a former football player, uh, NFL, college football, and he was also the first uh, professional football player to come out as a bisexual. And he talks about it in the book. R.K., this is a fantastic book that kind of explained a lot about what went into the decision, but right away at the title, who is in the yards between us, who is us? Oh, my gosh. It's kind of a layer title. I think when I first envisioned the yards between us, it was between um, where I am now as a happy, proud, out bisexual man um, in sport and, and, and a leader and a voice in sport, and where I was then, which is, you know, um, a closeted, at times insecure, um, fumbling through life, a uh, young black boy, and, and kind of the distance and the journey that, that went into that. But also the opportunity is, is, really, is really a metaphor for any people, the, the understood and the misunderstood, um, the oppressed and the liberated, the allies in, in, in the community. Uh, it, it's really... Like I said, just such a layered title, and I think through the book, those yards, that distance, whether it be between yourself where you want to be, um, or communities, becomes lesser and lesser, and, and we're able to come together in, in, in love and happiness and joy and respect, and at least that is my, my hope for the title. The people I know who've come out in different forms of sexuality, bisexual, homosexual, whatever it happens to be, a part of the LGBTQ+, they do it with friends, uh, privately. You did it in an essay through ESPN, and I understand you had some notoriety, and so you took that advantage. But did you consider just doing, coming out, as it were, very privately and just letting the chips fall where they may? Why, why go to the full bore ESPN and make national news? Yeah, I mean, I, I did a bit of both. In, in, in my book, I talk about the first time I ever come out or have a discussion is with a teammate and a best friend of mine, um, Joe Gilliam. And, you know, I think... For anyone in their personal life, of course, make the decision privately and what's best for you. Uh, and a lot of times that does not come with public announcements. In my case, particularly in being a person in sport, a person in um, the NFL and in football, where there's been so few um, people come out, whether it be before or after their careers or during their careers, uh, it was also an opportunity to hopefully encourage other people in sport to hopefully um, address uh, the, the inclusion and diversity of male sports. Um, and also, you know, it, it was something that meant something to me as an athlete, not just as a person. Um, so taking that, taking that stand, being so open, being so public about it, uh, for me was hopefully a chance to create a conversation sport, or at the very least to encourage young LGBTQ plus youth um, that, hey, sport is for you. You can be successful and play at the highest level and be exactly who you are. Uh, and, and, and it's important as athletes for us to write our own story and to tell our own story. Um, in that way. So so I think that's what the culmination of what led to me coming out in, in such a public fashion. The notoriety it got, I mean, it was national news. It was all over for days and weeks and, and all that, but was it was the reaction to it everything you expected, or what did you do to prepare for the inevitable questions and comments you'd receive? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that that's kind of the, the mixed bag of it all. Cause, you know, coming out, I feel like for 99.99%, if not all of us, it is a very personal thing. Um, I had a message that I wanted to portray, like I said, to people like me, um, the LGBTQ plus youth in sport, and also to people unlike me, to just say, hey, we're here, we're your teammates, 
not expecting much of. Like, I, I didn't put much thought into that. It was something I wanted to do. It was the message I wanted to bring across, and I knew that I couldn't control how other people perceived it or reacted to it or anything. So I came in with no expectation. <clears throat> really, I was, I was, of course, aware of just the homophobia of sport, the climate of sport, the homophobia of uh, America, and, and also the racism that I had endured my whole life. Um, so I was prepared for negative backlash. You, you come, become hard into it, also being a public figure, being a sports person, where everyone can give a reaction and a comment to you in real time on Twitter or, or anywhere. Uh, so I, I was surprised by the celebration that came from it, by the, the embrace that came from it. I got a lot of messages from people in the sports world, teammates, coaches, um, you know, previous to uh, colleagues, all of this. That was so supportive, um, so welcoming, so loving. So, so it was a, a very positive moment for me, a celebration, something I still look back and see as one of the, the greatest moments, if not the greatest moment of my life. Um, and, and I hope to give that and extend that to every person that comes out because that is not the norm um, for a lot of us in the community. You've played football at the highest levels. High school in Texas, Purdue University, Big Ten University, all your games are on national TV. Anybody anywhere can watch you. And then the NFL. Did you? There's a toxic masculinity that you talk about in the football culture. Did you notice it different in that in that particular trait of football from the high school level to the college level to the NFL level, or is it the same across the board? There's definitely a different, uh, I think, levels of it in my in my understanding. Honestly, and this is just my own personal story. Everyone can be different. The younger um, and the, the more kind of like amateur that that the league was, or, or that the sport or the game is, uh, in this terms, high school and all that, to me was a lot more. Um, we talk about toxic masculinity or unhealthy masculinity, any type of misogyny, um, homophobia, really was a lot more prevalent for me at the younger groups and the younger ages. Uh, I think that's why in this conversation when we talk about professional players coming out and there's so much emphasis on pro players. Um, being in the closet, of course, because that's where the platform is that, like you said, is the highest sport, um, the highest level of the sport. Uh, but I really think the loss is really young. I think we're losing a lot of LGBTQ plus youth athletes because of the things that we endure and the things that we all endure um, so young in the sport. You know, as you get to college, we're all there. You know, we're all on scholarship. We all mostly have, or we mostly all have a goal to go to the professional level. Um, at the very least, we're, we're full-time students, full-time athletes in, in a way that we've never been before. And then once you get to the professional level, it's, it's just that. It's professional. It's business. Uh, there's, there's not a lot going on in those locker rooms that's not about um, bonding or brotherhood or football or winning games. Uh, so for me, it, it, was, it was kind of like a, an upside-down pyramid of what everyone thinks. It, it, was, it was much more um, hard off uh, as youth. And as you get into the professional level, you've already lost so many LGBTQ-plus athletes along the way. I'm chatting with R.K. Russell about his new book, The Yards Between Us, a memoir of life, love, and football. It is available everywhere. R.K., you talk in the book about when you told your mom before the ESPN essay came out and her reaction, and there were three words there that she said. What were they? What about football? That that kind of summed it up for you, didn't it? Yeah, that moment, it's such a... It's such a mirror. It's a mirror of, of what held me back from coming out for so long. The question that I was asking myself every time my identity came up, and it's also a mirror for for society to think that my identity in, in this sport that I love so much, and I've worked so hard to be, and are at odds in some way. That being part of one excludes you from part of the other. Uh, it was just such a eye opening moment for me. It was such a hurtful moment for me, not just you know from my mom hurting me, but just of the climate of society where we are today, and, and that realism and that that 
you know, my mother and I, of course, were able to work it out very, very quickly. I mean, we're best friends. As 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 people read in the book, she's been there for me through thick and thin. But that growth and that conversation is something that I want to happen on on a on a global scale. Honestly, you know, to to for people to understand that oh yeah, these two things are not at odds. That these two things uh, can coexist and are coexisting now, um, whether we know about it or not. And how do we get to the point where people feel comfortable um, playing the sport that they love and being who they are? I know that you grew up in Texas. You went and played football at West Lafayette, Indiana, Purdue University. And, you know, we're in Big Ten country here, so we, we kind of know a lot about all these traditions. The Old Oaken Bucket, the shillelagh with Notre Dame, the yeah. Old Oaken Bucket is obviously the, the trophy between Purdue and Indiana. When you come from a state that's so far removed from Indiana and you go there, the, the fans all love that Old Oaken Bucket. What do you as an out-of-state player think? Is it just another game for you, or does that mean anything? Oh, my gosh. I will say, I first got to Purdue, I was hearing about this bucket. I had no idea what was going on. I knew a bit about the rivalry before, especially for you and IU. But you, you don't really understand it until you're a part of it, until you're, like, thrown into the middle of it. Um, I would say my perspective was it was just another game. I want to beat every opponent, uh, you know, equally. But then you get into that stadium, you hear the fans, you hear your fans, the energy around the school and the university changes. Uh, the game is definitely heightened. There's just an electricity that comes from it that is undescribable, like I said, until you're kind of like a part of it. Um, so that game, definitely, like, I quickly understood. Uh, no rivalry, I quickly understood that this was a game. If you didn't win no other game, you needed to win uh, this game. Uh, and that, that's the beauty of sport, right? That we can all, regardless of where we come from, embody these <laughs> these um, these rituals or these ideas, um, these traditions, and, you know, to use that in a positive way outside of this rivalry game is also the hope of the arts between us, that that same energy and connectivity and community uh, <laughs> that sports creates. And a rivalry, you know, can be created in, in the world. Why are we not all rivals against bigotry and homophobia and racism and all these things? Why are we not applying that same community and energy uh, to issues that, that are affecting us and, and that are affecting um, our players, our fans, our world? The station that we're on right now is an Iowa Hawkeye affiliate, broadcast Iowa football games for years, and part of the propaganda that comes out of Iowa City is that Kinnick Stadium is the toughest place for any opponent to play. You walked in there as a defensive end and beat Iowa, I know at least once in your career, so what's your perspective as a visiting player to Iowa City and Kinnick Stadium as far as what you hear when you're there? I mean, yeah, definitely a tough stadium to play in. Uh, also, just being a Texas boy, all of these cold stadiums were <laughs> so, you know, we're a little tough to play in. Um, but, I mean, it's a city where you really feel that they are invested in their team, that they are supportive, that there is, you know, they take pride. They take pride in their football. Um, those, those are always the toughest, the toughest stadiums to, to go to and, and kind of uh, bring your own culture and your own energy and, and create something. Uh, we are fortunate enough to do it and to have some success. I know that Iowa and my career, I believe, came to Purdue and, and did the same thing. They beat us at home. Um, but definitely, and like I said, those schools, Big Ten schools, so much tradition, so much um, just honor in their programs, so much uh, respect and kind of this, this. I don't think the Big Ten gets enough credit. I don't think they got enough credit then. I don't think they get enough credit now. Um, a lot of tough games week in, week out. I, I think that's what makes it one of the greatest conferences uh, in college football. The NFL has gotten a lot more vocal in the last several years regarding social issues, uh, race, LGBTQ+. Is a lot of that, from what you see, clearly you still have friends that are in the game. 
is a lot of that lip service, is that uh, PR stuff, or are they actually making meaningful change as far as acceptance? Um, I, I definitely think there's meaningful, meaningful change um, being made. I don't think change ever happens as quickly as we would like it to, and unfortunately for those who are suffering or going to attack or who are, are feeling the weight of a lot of those decisions, um, that change is not alleviating them at a rate that that is that is something that I would be comfortable with or feel or feel uh, pleased with. Uh, but the NFL is definitely taking action. I, but I think it is um, the job or the responsibility of people like myself, of the sports fans, and of the people who support this league to make sure that it stays that way. Um, uh, to me, I really do feel I'm I'm a proud believer in that everything's kind of lip service until time is proves otherwise. Uh, to say one thing and to do another thing once is not also not good enough. This needs to be systematic change. This needs to be um, repetitive and consistent change that we see, and there also needs to be a momentum that builds to be in the same place that you were um, five years ago that you are now is also not enough. So I think it's something that will take time, but I can also guarantee that myself and others like me in the NFL, um, in the locker rooms, outside the locker rooms, supporting the league, are there to, to make sure that that. It, it is not just lip service, that there is servable and observable um, action being taken day in and day out. You're a young man, but your memoir of your life to this point has been extraordinary, and we can take so much from it. The book is called The Yards Between Us, A Memoir of Life, Love, and Football. It's by R.K. Russell. The book is available everywhere. R.K., just a fantastic story you've told here and a lot of uh, things to think about and for us to ponder as we move forward as a people, and I thank you for joining me to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. Come together.